Welcome to Tackling the NFL, the only NFL podcast to recognize the back-to-back champ, LaShawn McCoy. Adam, I think we figured out the path to winning a Super Bowl. Step one, sign LaShawn McCoy. Step two, leave him on the bench. Step three, prosper, win the Super Bowl. <laughs> the yep. Chiefs did it last year. <laughs> yeah, the Bucks did it this year. Uh, he took he had zero snaps in either of the last two Super Bowls, despite being on both teams that won. Uh, it's a cheat That's code. To do it. <laughs> don't don't risk any more CTE than you already have, and get a free Super Bowl ring. Absolutely. So we are coming off. Well, with the end of the season, realistically, we're coming off. What was it projected to be a really exciting Super Bowl? I don't think it really shook out to be that. Um, ended thirty-one to nine bucks, but we're going to spend this episode talking about what we learned from the game, what we learned going forward for the teams, uh, diving into the strategy. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about for this game, even though it wasn't that close points-wise. I think that if you look at a couple of different points in the game, it very easily could have been a much closer game, and the Chiefs could have won it if the Bucks hadn't gotten some breaks. So. There really is a lot to talk about, and I'm looking forward to it. But I think when you're talking about this Super Bowl, you need to start with Tom Brady. I mean, honestly, I'm sick of it. I, I, I'm i sick of it. I've been following Colin Mashkuri's Twitter page for like the past couple of days. Uh, he's been on the podcast before, so you guys know him. And he is just constantly ranting about how much he hates Tom Brady. I, yeah, I agree with that. I'm tired of it. But it is very impressive what he did. So, Adam, I don't know, like seven rings. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, when when you're talking about greatest of all time, I think there's no question that that Tom Brady is the most winning, the most winningest, and therefore the greatest. If that's your definition, then sure, I'll give it to you. But I'm so sick of hearing all these people saying Tom Brady won them this game. Tom Brady Super Bowl MVP. Tom Brady earned the the Bucks this victory because that's Y'all, just not the Mahomes case. played better than Brady in this game. Mahomes had the worst, one of the worst games in his career and was more impressive than Tom Brady was. Yeah, we will talk about Mahomes afterwards, but yes, I completely agree. It hurts to see all these, all these websites saying Tom Brady wins another one, Tom, putting his face on the face of the, of the victory. Because sure, he's the face of the organization. When you think Bucks, you think Tom Brady. But he didn't win them this game. He didn't win them any of the games in the playoffs. And it's super frustrating to see. What, what do you think about that? He had three picks last week. He was pretty good this week. I really don't want to take away too much credit. And I'll talk about that in a sec. But um, yeah, he should not have been the Super Bowl MVP. I think it should have gone to Shaq Barrett personally. I could see an argument 100%. for Vita Bea. Rob Gronkowski also has a case. Or Devin White. Yeah, I personally am a little bit lower on what Devin White did, despite thinking that he had a really good game. We'll get to that when we talk about the Bucks defense, although I think he was very good, of course. What I really noticed in this game was that Tom Brady was getting the ball out really quick. I've got a couple stats. So in this game, he averaged 3.5 completed air yards per attempt. In the regular season, he averaged seven. In this game, his expected completion percentage was 75.5%, which is five percentage points higher than any quarterback season-long average. And only two out of his 29 attempts were into a short, were into a tight window, according to next-gen stats. He was getting the ball out really quickly. He was checking down to running backs and getting some short passes to Gronk consistently or AB or any of these other guys. I can't fault him for this. That's the thing. Like, I think that you really have to consider how hard it was for him. He wasn't making any crazy throws. And that's worth considering when you say he won in the game or he didn't. Um, And that's why I would argue that he played as a replacement level quarterback, essentially, in this game. But what he did was he made in-game adjustments. You know, he made the right read consistently. He got the ball out incredibly quickly. 
his time to throw was 2.27 seconds in this game. And Ben Roethlisberger, who had the shortest average for the regular season, took 2.3 seconds to throw for the season average, according to Next Gen Stats. He was just getting it out there, making the right read, pushing it to guys in space, and then letting Leonard Fournette or um, Rob Gronkowski break tackles and pick up some extra yards and just move the ball downfield methodically. He wasn't driving it downfield to Mike Evans or anything like that. I think he was good, but he was also propped up by a lot of other things and by the play calling. Yeah, you, you stole a lot of my stats, but I had the, I had the same general idea. Uh, he kind of he just overwhelmed Kansas City with the with the dink and dunks. Yeah, so he had 26 first downs on only a 340 total yards, which is crazy because that's 10 fewer yards than the Chiefs, but we didn't see any production out of the Chiefs offense. So it really just showed how Tom Brady isn't a star quarterback. He's not going to make the insane throws. He's not going to be sideways in the air throwing down the field, but he's, he doesn't move. He gets the ball to where he needs to get it, and he wins games, and I guess that's why he has seven Super Bowl rings. Honestly, not a Super Bowl MVP. No, I mean he's he. What he did this year and in this game was he kept the Bucks offense on track, which is really valuable. I, I'm not going to take that away from him. That is really valuable. Last year they had Jameis Winston, who you and I are both extremely high on, but I think we can both agree that he was the wrong quarterback for this team because when you have a defense that good and offensive pieces that good around him, you don't want the high variance, 30 interceptions and 50 touchdowns. That doesn't really help you in the same way that limiting interceptions and turnovers and just taking the safe pass while also pushing it downfield occasionally does. The one really interesting thing about this game for Tom Brady, and this is also reflective of Byron Leftwich and what a great game he called, was that the Bucks used play action on 43% of dropbacks. They got all three of their touchdowns through it. And through the NFC Championship game from the beginning of the season, the Bucks used play action at a bottom six rate in the league at only 20%, according to John Ledyard from Pewter Report. So they found a weakness in the Chiefs defense and Tom Brady's clearly a fan of play action. He's used it a lot throughout his career, but they didn't use it that much this year and they attacked it. And I thought that was really interesting to watch and it really maximized Brady's efficiency in this game. Yeah, and he was helped out by Leonard Fournette, a little more than 5.5 yards per rush. It's pretty solid performance out of Lenny, uh, who's been having a great playoffs, obviously. And Playoff Lenny! Out, yeah, none of, us, none of us expected, except for him. So you got to give it to him. But just that ability to switch on and off gave Tom Brady so much room for error. If he had made some mistakes, which he didn't in this game, but if he did, they would have had breathing room. They would have been fine. Uh, it was like a seven yard pass, then a six yard run, then a six yard pass, then a seven yard run. And it was back and forth and back and forth. And that consistency is what won them the game. I'm going to be so angry in 15 years. And this is already coming up now, which is just even ridiculous, but when this game comes up in the GOAT discussion, like who's better, Brady or Mahomes, I'm going to be so angry. Because this game says, frankly, nothing about Brady or Mahomes. They better not bring up the, the quarterback stats. They're going to, and I'm going to be furious. I'm going to be so <laughs> mad because we're going to remember this game and we're going to be, oh my God. But what we watched from Patrick Mahomes was the greatest three-year stretch of football by any quarterback ever. I mean, just truly incredible what he's done year in and year out. And I'm not saying this is like the end of a stretch. I'm just saying what we've seen in these past three years is incredible. In his three years as a starter, they went to the championship game, they won the Super Bowl, and they lost Super Bowl. I mean, what more could you ask for from Patrick Mahomes? And in this game, he really didn't have a chance. Adam, do you want to talk about the pressure numbers and just what the Bucks defense did to him and gave him no chance? Well, I was just going to say, this is Patrick Mahomes pre-prime. 
this we haven't seen the best of Patrick Mahomes yet. And he is already playing at a level that we haven't seen ever in any quarterback before. Not just for rookie quarterbacks, not just for first three-year quarterback. Comparing him to any quarterback in their prime, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. They this guy blows them out of the water. And seeing his his levels of progression every year is ridiculous. And he almost kept this Kansas City Chiefs in this game, which in itself is one of the greatest feats in football history. He was pressured on 29 of his 56 dropbacks. Uh, According to PFF George, he was under pressure in less than 2.5 seconds on 24 plays. So it's not something, it's not like you can say that he was creating the pressure because obviously that's a problem for quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, where their lines aren't great, but they're also by holding the ball they're making it an issue and they're forcing sacks. No, the pressure was on him immediately. And there's nowhere to, there's no pocket to step up into. There's he had no chance in that regard. And even worse for him, 27 of the 29 pressures came against four or fewer rushers, according to ESPN stats and info, which is the second most in the last 10 years. And so that means that they have seven guys in coverage. Like no one's going to get open immediately against seven guys. It takes too long to find the holes in the zones. And so he was really doomed and which left him, you know, scrambling all over the field, running for his life. And then, trying to make a hero play, which for the record, he made on like at least two or three occasions and his receivers just didn't catch the ball and he can't do anything about that. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Patrick Mahomes ran 497 yards to avoid the Bucks this game. I know you probably have that stat too, but that is ridiculous. That is one of the craziest things. And that's most by a QB all season, let alone in Super Bowls. The, and your 29 pressures, also most quarterback pressures in Super Bowl history. And Bowles kept two safeties back the entire time because just in case somehow Patrick Mahomes gets out of the pocket, avoids six guys breathing down his neck, he won't have anyone open. And when he does, they'll drop the ball. It was the worst case scenario for him. And he still managed to put like numbers on the board, which in itself is crazy. I'll say it. That pass that he threw parallel to the ground where he scrambled away from like three guys on, I think it was fourth down. I think it was fourth and nine or something like that in the fourth quarter. That is the greatest pass in NFL history. And I will say, like, yes, Daryl Williams didn't catch the ball, but he threw that ball parallel to the ground and it hit Daryl Williams in the face mask. I cannot emphasize how absolutely insane that pass is. Yeah, I I took one physics class and that just that the the numbers don't compute in my head because he isn't throwing. So, you know how like quarterback coaches are like, don't throw off one foot. That's not that's never making a good throw. How about don't throw off any feet? (laughs) And he's throwing sideways, manages to get leverage somehow and flings it at a good pace straight into the hands of an open wide receiver. It was a dead spiral. That is the craziest <laughs> part. That ball did not wobble as it was approaching Daryl Williams. He's, he looks like he's done that a hundred times. I know. Have you seen the Greg Jennings video, Adam? Uh, like the Greg Jennings on Madden. Like he's, <laughs> he's putting the team on his back. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And can you say that there was a single other player on Kansas City that had a good game? I really can't. I can't think of a single person. Maybe Clyde Edwards Hiller with what with his touches. Maybe. Yeah, uh, but even then, that's a stretch. Exactly. So Patrick Mahomes had no support. I think he had a very good game. If you say that he played poorly, you probably didn't watch the game. I mean, I can't help you in that case. Um, but it's worth crediting him so that when we come back and think about this game in a bunch of years and we see he had no touchdowns and two interceptions or whatever, we don't say, oh, Patrick Mahomes played poorly. No, he was failed by everyone around him. Yeah. 
And and the coaches didn't really help him either. The Chiefs used five minute protections ninety two point three percent of the time, so they they didn't adjust to like to protect him because clearly uh, the Andrew Wiley and Matt, Mike Remmers were not helping. Yeah, to be fair, that number doesn't take into account chipping, which they tried True. to do a little bit, but again, it was not enough. Um, they should have been using some more heavy sets and maybe sending less guys out in routes. Uh, what the Chiefs were clearly betting on was that they could get some sort of quick game going or that by putting more guys out in routes, they would get somebody open fast enough for Mahomes to hit them. But that wasn't happening when Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, and Jason Pierre-Paul were creating pressure and, immediately on every play. Yeah, and they, and they clearly weren't ready for this. The, 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 the Chiefs have never been in this situation, or at least these Chiefs have never been in this situation. Andy Reid said after the game how he, he was expecting this to just be like any other game, walking in and beating them like any how they've been doing all season. But they were clearly caught off guard and all credit to the Bucks defense. They were insane, but they, the, the coaching staff for the chiefs did not help them out very much. So yeah, let's talk about coaching. Cause that was really the story of this game. And I think, it, like you said, it seemed like the chiefs assumed that the Bucks would be playing this game. Like they had played the rest of the season, which is a r- relatively reasonable assumption given that the chiefs have been, or the, sorry, the Bucks have been extremely consistent throughout the season in doing the same thing over and over. And so Kansas City got ready for that. Reed prepared for that. Um, so did Spags and everyone else. And to the Bucks' credit, uh, Bowles and Leftwich completely changed up their game plan. So let's talk about that for a little bit. I think that so, so much credit has to be given to Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich because what they both did was they found Kansas City's weaknesses and they attacked them by putting those players in conflict and making their life even harder, which is really interesting because Kansas City's weaknesses were not things that this Bucks team have been, has been built to exploit this year which is, I think, part of why you and I were both so confident about Kansas City coming into this game because the Bucs were a terrible matchup for Kansas City except for on the line. Like, the line is just, you know, they're going head-to-head. There's yeah. not much you can do about that. But the Bucs hadn't used much two-man this year. They hadn't used play action this year, which would attack the guards, or sorry, the linebackers. They hadn't had a diverse run game. They never pulled their guards. They basically just ran inside zone or split zone or duo the entire year. Like, they weren't that creative. Um, in ways that would have put the linebackers in conflict or attacked the uh, Kansas City's weakest links. And they completely changed that in this game. So all credit to those guys for the adjustments they made. Yeah, and we've been saying this throughout the playoffs against the Saints, against the Packers, and now against the Chiefs. If the Bucks are going to win this game, it's going to be through that defensive front. And they wrecked, they wreaked havoc. How, how, how do you say it in the past? I always say wreaked, but I don't know if that's right. <laughs> and they took over. Uh, <laughs> the way that Bowles was able to switch between cover two and cover four throughout the game, just completely eliminating Tyree kill from the game, uh, or at least in the deep passing game. Uh, sure. He had that one slant, which by the way, Mahomes extremely underrated throwing that one to sidearm pass a defender. That's what he needed to do to get off the simplest passes. And he trusted Devin white and Levante David to cover Travis Kelsey over the middle. And they did a great job. Sure they dropped a couple of passes along the way to help them out, but still they managed to hold them down. They didn't give up any big plays and it was just a phenomenal display on defense. Todd Bowles did a really good job of breaking tendency this game, which is something that we talked about coming into the playoffs and pretty much in every, before every playoff game as of like, will he, won't he? Um, and he did it to the greatest extent that he's done in any point in his career in this game. You mentioned they played a lot of cover two. The Buccaneers defense aligned in a too high safety shell on 87% of plays, which is the highest rate by Todd Bowles led defense in a game over the last five seasons, according to next gen stats. And 
Todd Bowles' signature is that he blitzes. He blitzes a lot. The Bucks or his defenses are always near the top of the league in blitzing. And in this game, they only blitzed six times, which is... Oh, I, I got five. Oh. Uh, according to next-gen stats, it was six, 9.6% of the time, which is the lowest for one of Bulls' defenses in the last five years. Again, he was ready for what Mahomes wanted to do um, and what Kansas City wanted to do. And he also, another like underrated thing, he stayed out of base. He played a lot of nickel personnel to force the Chiefs to run it and to make it harder for them to throw. All of these things just combined on each other to make it slightly, slightly harder for Mahomes. And when Kansas City had a bunch of bad breaks going against them, you know, they just had trouble adjusting and they never really recovered. Yep. Consistency won the, won the Bucks this game. It was every play that we knew what they were bringing. They, they brought it every time. No big plays, but also they weren't incredible on the slant passes, but they didn't need to be because the Chiefs were not converting consistently. And I just thought that overall, Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, Bruce Arians, uh, uh, coached a fantastic game throughout. Yeah, just to add a little bit on Byron Leftwich, because I think that his job coming into the season was quite possibly one of the hardest in the entire NFL because he was stuck in between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, both legends in the NFL in their own right, and both of them who do very, very, very different things, right? We all know that Bruce Arians has a very vertical passing attack um, and always has. That's why James Winston threw 30 interceptions, but also a million (laughs) touchdowns last year. Um, And we know that Tom Brady likes to be conservative, take the easy pass. And he adjusted to both of them. I mean, like he used a lot more play action like Brady likes. I thought that what he did, he he sort of distilled some of Arians and some of Brady, and he squeezed out a formula that kept everyone happy and the offense rolling, which is why it was the best in the NFL over the second half of the season. And it just kept going. And then one other thing I really liked in this game was that the Bucks did a good job of running against light boxes because Kansas City uses a lot of nickel and dime personnel because Spags likes to stop the pass ahead of the run, which is why they've had a bad run defense, but it really hasn't come back to bite them because most teams can't get ahead of Kansas City to be able to run the ball. And so... What the Bucs did and what Leftwich did was they made the safeties and cornerbacks come up and tackle. And when you have Leonard Fournette going up against like a 200-pound cornerback, Fournette's going to win that battle. So just a really good job of scheming his guys into the right spot. And also just yeah. finally, very much worth shouting out that uh, Lori Locust and Morel Javadifar, sorry if I mispronounced her name, uh, are the first two women to win a Super Bowl as coaches. Yeah. Right? Like the Bucks have a black offensive coordinator, a black defensive coordinator, a black special teams coordinator, two female coaches. Like they maximize their chances because by hiring out of the box candidates, you improve your chances of winning. And so many teams don't do that because they'd rather be racist than win. Yeah, it's pretty clear. Like we've, we've talked about this constantly throughout the playoffs, but the ones who are doing the best are the ones with the with the minority coaches. It's just it's pretty clear. We, we I think we've talked about that a lot in uh I guess shoving it down people's throats is a good thing, but it's worth yeah, noting. It, but yeah, we have talked about it. <laughs> Adam, I mean, what this Bucks defense did was incredible. I think you mentioned a couple of things. I've got a couple more, but um, what they did on the defensive line was so impressive. I mean, like, yes, they had the talent. They could have really just gone four man rush all game. And they did do that, but they did it in creative ways because they ran so many games on the defensive line. They were doing stunts all over the place in creative ways. They had Vita Vea rushing from the edge at 350 pounds. I mean, it was awesome to watch. And they had a player ready to corral Patrick Mahomes every time the pocket broke. Uh, they had Devin White doing that a lot. And Devin White so fast that he could just sprint to the spot that he needed to be and make Mahomes make an even harder throw or run even farther. I just think that they put all their players in the best spot. 
Yeah. It, it was an incredible showing. If you had told me coming to this game that Mahomes would be three for 13 on third down attempts, there's no way I believe you because of how consistent he is at finding the open man, making space for himself, uh, figuring out like where the defense is coming from and avoiding them. But he, it's impossible to avoid literally everyone because it was holes on the right side of his defense, the left side of his defense, and right in front of him. And the fact that this game like was even like competitive in the slightest bit just shows how, how he was able to adapt. But yeah, you got you got to give a huge shout out to Shaq Barrett because I think pretty much every play, every down he was in the backfield, whether it was getting con- contact on the quarterback just putting pressure on the offensive line. So pushing him back into Mahomes, it was every play. It was insane. Yeah, I think Barrett had eight pressures and two sacks, like just a ridiculous showing. You mentioned Devin White and Levante David. Levante David was in single coverage against Travis Kelsey for a lot of the game. And Kelsey had like 10 receptions for 133 yards, but most of those came in garbage time. And he really didn't have any real impact on the game. David did a great job against one of the tougher assignments in the league. And then they kept Devontae White, or sorry, they kept Devin White at the line of scrimmage a lot of the time to stuff the run or to react to screen passes or to stop Mahomes, which is really smart because while I think he's very good um, and I think he's getting better and I think he can be one of the best, if not the best linebacker in the league, he's still not very good in coverage. So they had him do what he was best at and kept Mahomes from picking on him the way he did in week 12. Just, you know, more smart things. And then on the back end, the secondary was just locking down Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They were also jamming them a lot in this game, which made them both uncomfortable. And when your pass rush is getting home so quickly, the way they were, it means that like that half second that Hiller Kelsey loses to the jam into the press coverage might be the difference between a completion or an incompletion. Just like all these small things that added up. Yeah, and and Devin White thrived in that position. He had 12 tackles, two of them for a loss, one pass defended and an interception. You really can't ask for much more from a second year linebacker he played phenomenally and just the entire defense just it looked like a defense it didn't look like a, a, a defensive line and then a linebacker core and then a safeties and then cornerbacks they all they look so cohesive and that's why they were having so much fun that's why we saw Antoine Renfield put the peace sign up to Tyreek Hill that's why we we saw them high-fiving each other in the middle of plays it was it was insane I, I loved it Yeah, they were rallying to the ball. They were gang tackling all over the field. And as you mentioned, Antoine Winfield throwed up the piece that I cannot support that strongly enough. (laughs) For the record, I think that technically is a taunting penalty. Like, you can't say that that wasn't. You put it in his face. It's just a taunting penalty. I want my guy to take 10 times out of 10, especially in that situation. Do you see the quote after the game? I did. I probably did. But which one are you talking about? Antoine Winfield said, uh, the taunting man, it's just something I had that I had to do. He backflipped in front of my face, gave me the peace sign. So it was only right that I gave him the peace sign right back to him. It felt amazing to be able to do that. Not even going to lie. I-, I love Antoine Winfield. I know you I have for him. a long time. Uh, just they deserved all of that. Um, and they put up a performance to back up the swag. Yeah, but I, I feel like we-, we can't really talk about this game without talking about the Chiefs mistakes and the blunders throughout this game. Because even if... All this stuff was happening on defense. It's the Chiefs, and they would have been fine if they hadn't been killing themselves at the same time. Let's start in the first half where a lot of it happened. Kelsey dropped a crucial third down pass, which led to Tommy Townsend shanking a punt after dropping it on the first one. Well, and also Townsend shanked the punt after he got off an amazing punt. And then Ben Neiman, I think, held uh, one of the 
one of the punt blockers and then they had to kick again and then he shanked it like it just yeah. over and over and then the chiefs lined up on offside on a field goal i think that was miko hardman or the guy across from him i'm not really sure it was which one of them it was. yep okay um which gave them a first down and then eventually a touchdown to rob gronkowski unfortunately and then uh, defensive, and then uh, Chris Jones got a 15-yard unnecessary roughness for slapping Ryan Jensen. It's always the second guy that gets it. Jensen instigated. All... <laughs> Jones responded. Another another time slapping someone with the helmet on doesn't do anything. Yeah. How many times did they say it? Um, and then there was Brashad Breland's PI at the end of the first half, which was a little ridiculous because what and when we were looking at it on the first time, it, it looked. Clearly, that uh, it was pass interference, but as as we started to see the replay, it looked like Mike Evans actually initiated the contact, which led to the trip. So that one was sort of like an it could go either way. I think that probably was a pass interference because even though he, they sort of tripped each other up, he did sort of drag him down. I thought the Tyron Matthew pass interference call um, in the end zone was not a pass interference. Yeah, uh, it, it, but it, it's tough to warrant a thirty-four yard penalty on that play, though. Like that's sure. that's a little ridiculous. And then that wasn't even, as you mentioned, that wasn't even the most questionable PI because just that later that drive, uh, 13 seconds left in the half, uh, Tyron Matthews flagged for for interfering with Antonio Brown on what was clearly uncatchable. That that ball was nowhere near Antonio Brown. It, yeah, it, wait, wasn't that one on Gronk? Uh, I think the penalty came on Antonio Brown. You're talking about the one in the end zone. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was a couple of different penalties, so I'm not sure even which one, but yeah. It, it was clearly uncatchable. It was yeah, it way was. Out, of, out of the end zone. And it gave them a first and goal play, which they which they ended up scoring on. It was a Super Bowl record, six first downs by penalty in the first half alone. The previous record was four in an entire game, which just shows how abysmal the, these penalties were for the for the Chiefs' chances. And while the we got to give credit to the Bucks defense, the Chiefs were not helping themselves with these drops and these penalties. Yeah, like there was two passes in the end zone that hit Chiefs receivers in the head, in the helmet. Like if they catch those, that's a 14-point swing, not even counting the Bucks scoring on those drives after they got the ball back. Uh, there was a Kelsey drop that you mentioned earlier on a third and eight, which wouldn't have necessarily led to a score because it was on their own side of the field, but it was a great pass um, and the drive stalled out obviously after that. And then there's just... another 50-50 ball for Kelsey that he yep. comes down with 90% of the time in during the regular season, but couldn't catch it this time. Yep. Like just all these bad breaks, some bad clock management by Andy Reid. Here's the thing. I agree that all these things made it hard for the Chiefs to win, but I think that they were clearly outplayed and outcoached by the Bucs in this game. So I just can't get too 100%. upset about it. They sort of had to get all of these to go their way to be able to win anyways. And the fact that all the went the Bucs way is surprising, but it's just sort of like they deserved it. They they won this game fair and square. And, and like maybe maybe Brady paid off the refs. Who knows? I'm not going to say that that didn't happen because we don't know. But... That, that's libel. We're not going to we're not going to slander him. We're just going to say maybe he did. If it, there's all there's always a chance. You know, he loves doing whatever he can to win. He, what I, whatever it was, it was a, a fantastically coached game by by one side, but not the other. So we knew coming in that the Kansas City offensive line would be a problem, pretty much no matter what. We knew it would be an issue. And we sort of assumed that it wouldn't be enough of an issue to cost Kansas City the game. That's why we both picked them to win. And as it turns out, it was really just too much for them to overcome. So let's talk about that for a little bit. I mean, if you think about it, it's actually been almost this bad for most of the year. It just hasn't been an issue in the same way because, for one, the quick game had been working better for Kansas City. 
They'd had a really good screen game, which they just couldn't get going in this game. They had two incomplete screens in the first half because the offensive line wasn't blocking up their guys and the linebackers. I think Devin White had a couple big plays on screens early in the game because they weren't well coached enough or they weren't prepared enough because they're all backups. And the one time that they actually went up against a defensive line close to this good was against the Saints in week 14 and Kansas City had problems then in that game. It just sort of got covered up because Drew Brees was, I think, in his first game back from injury or whatever, and the Saints offense wasn't going either. So Kansas City had more chances to score. But it's sort of been an issue, but it really, really got bad in this game. So what did you notice? Yeah, I mean, missing Eric Fisher and Mitchell Swartz, we we mentioned that before the game, how it was going to be detrimental to their offensive production. We didn't expect it to be this bad, but I mean, you can't put Mahomes in that. Like, you can't put not not just Mahomes, even though he is the best quarterback. You you can't put any quarterback in that situation and and expect him to be at all productive. Like, you can't expect him to complete any passes. And the fact that here's my question, though, actually, if you flip Tom Brady and Pat Mahomes, how many? I'm gonna. I think we can pretty comfortably say actually that Tom Brady wouldn't have scored a point. Uh, behind that offensive line, oh, easily not even how, like close. how many yards would he have had? Is my question. <laughs> negative, negative yards. <laughs> I I don't I don't know how he would possibly create a yard. Maybe maybe a couple of dink and dunks, but they would have run like three screens and like they would not have gotten yards. Exactly, they would not have gotten any yards otherwise. It, so it would be like a seventy to zero game. Oh, one thousand <laughs> percent. Yeah. So what I've been thinking about is how they can rebuild this offensive line. And I actually think the prognosis isn't quite as bad as it might seem, despite that they have very little cap space. We will be talking about their offseason plans in a bit. But I think that there's a couple different ways you can do this. First of all, you're going to get back uh, Mitchell Schwartz, a back injury cost in the second half of the season. Back injuries can be finicky and he's already 31. So it's worth keeping an eye on. Hopefully he'll be back. He's one of the better Offensive lineman in the league, he might have been like the best tackle in the league last season. Um, Dr. Laurent Duvernay Tardif should hopefully also be back. He opted out because of COVID. Eric Fisher, I don't entirely know just because he had an Achilles injury at the very, very like in the AFC championship game. He is, uh, I think, 30. I just looked him up. And right now, the Chiefs are $18 million over the cap. They can save $12 million by cutting Fisher because I think he could realistically miss a lot of the season, if not all of it, with the Achilles injury because it happened so late. I don't know if the contract is injury guaranteed, though. So if it is, then they can't cut him. They might not have him back, though. Yeah, I mean, I think that's got to be your, your target this offseason because if you give Mahomes time, he will win you games. And clearly, he had no time in this game. And this is why this was his worst performance and his first loss by more than eight points ever. Yeah. And so I think that obviously getting those guys back will definitely help. I think that the second way that you get good players at low cost is because the Chiefs are pretty clearly, I think right now, the favorites are at the worst, the second, like the second favorite team in the league to win the Super Bowl next year. And that means you can get a lot of ring chasers. Someone like Kalechio Semeli, who signed this past offseason and unfortunately got hurt, but was really good before he got hurt, might actually be worth looking at bringing him back at like a veteran's minimum. And because there's a lower cap this offseason, I think that means that there's going to be more solid vets on the free agent market than usual. I think that Kansas City should target the cheap ones, and they could probably get a couple of solid to decent offensive linemen, which is really all they need. They don't need stars for low cost because there's going to be so many of them, and those guys are going to want to win the Super Bowl with the Chiefs. I think that's another solid path for them. Yeah, it, it, it's just they got to bolster that line because, I mean, you have the best quarterback ever. Don't waste his, his time with the Chiefs by picking up like a wide receiver or something. Because at the end of the day, 
he could have three Sammy Watkins at wide receiver and still produce insane numbers. You just got to give him some time. And uh, a couple more guys on that line would be super helpful. Yeah. So it looks like we're already talking about their offseason plans. Do you have anything else you want to talk about for the game? Or do you want to talk a little bit about what they're going to do moving forward? No, I, I do have one question, though, for both these quarterbacks. Yeah. The, their current record for Super Bowl wins is seven and one. It would have been six and two had Mahomes pulled this off, but it's seven and one. How close do you see that getting in the future? I was actually thinking about this, mostly because I don't think the GOAT debate should actually be decided by rings because there's so many other players on the field. Sure. But say that it is, I say it's going to be seven and five in the end. I think Mahomes, it's just so hard to say that anyone's going to get anywhere near seven. As we know, Brady has more rings than I think any franchise in the league. So I yep. do see Mahomes winning four more over the course of his career. I can see that. I, I could see us getting very sick of the Chiefs winning if they get a good offensive line around Mahomes. I sort of see that. The problem is, well, not problem, actually. The great thing is, is that He's Brady fun. sucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brady sucked because he was dinking and dunking his way to championships with like good defenses and great coaches who were really annoying because they never said anything. Mahomes is so fun to watch. I mean, like if we can get like if we can get promised one horizontal throw every other every other game, I'd be very happy to to watch him win a couple more Super Bowls. Exactly. Patrick Mahomes is going to be on a revenge tour and the Chiefs are going to be on a revenge tour next year. Like this could be the Warriors, what, 73 and nine year or whatever they did. We could see that next season. I don't know if that'll end with a ring or not, but they're going to be coming out of the gates mad. And I think someone mentioned, I forget who, that Patrick Mahomes is going to invent a new throw this offseason to come, come out with it for next year. I could, I totally could 100% see that. That, see that. He might kick it to someone halfway through the season. <laughs> get There's a little drop kick. Yeah. So I, I think that this team is going to come back even stronger. And yeah, I do see quite a few more rings in their future, but they really need to rebuild their roster in a much more efficient way. Because if you look at their roster around Mahomes, it hasn't actually been built that efficiently. It's just that when you have Mahomes, you have Reed, you have Kelsey and you have Hill that covers up a lot of flaws. And Steve Spagnuolo is a really good playoffs defensive coordinator, but there are flaws on this team. So let's talk about how the chiefs are going to rebuild this off season. And I have an idea for like the first step that they could do. And I think it's sort of unorthodox, just given how many other flaws were exposed in this game. I think that the Chiefs should actually be really focusing on getting a third offensive weapon, a second wide receiver to go with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Because in this game and in past games, it's been very easy, or not easy at the very least, but defenses have focused on and devoted pretty much two guys at all times to covering um, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey each. And that left all of their other receivers in 1v1s and Hardman and Watkins and Demarcus Robinson were not really doing anything. They weren't getting open and winning those battles. But in this game, Deontay Lee from PFF pointed out that the Bucks were pretty much devoting their weak side safety on one by three sets from the Chiefs, which is where you have Travis Kelsey as the solo receiver on one side and then three receivers on the other side. Hill was usually in the slot and Tyreek Hill often runs deep over routes from that formation. Cody Romo, I think, pointed this out a couple of weeks ago. Anyways, they run that a lot and the Bucks devoted their weak side safety just to stopping Hill which left other guys in 1v1s and the Chiefs couldn't do anything about it because those other guys weren't winning their battles. I think that if the Chiefs use like the 31st pick on someone like Kadarius Tony from Florida or another good receiver who's shifty, who can create in space because they're going to have space, they're going to be 1v1, that could really transform their offense and just take it to like another level. Like, I don't know what that looks like, honestly, because they're already so good, but another level. So you, so you suggest taking a, another weapon over an offensive line? Well, here's the thing. 
I think it's sort of harder to find a really good offensive lineman or an offensive lineman you really think is going to hit at 31 than it is to find a wide receiver. I think it's just easier to get a really good wide receiver at that draft position. True. And and also the Chiefs are losing, or at least these are unrestricted free agents. You got Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson, who probably won't come back. Uh, maybe maybe they get signed for, for a very small contract, but it's unlikely. And, you know, maybe, maybe they get, they get a steal towards the end of the, of the first round. But I, I, if I think if I'm the Chiefs, I, I go offensive line. That's probably true. It just sort of depends on who's there. But like we already saw them go for Clyde Edwards Zeller last offseason when it didn't really true. look like that needed to be addressed. They'd already scored plenty. Well, to be fair, after last season, it didn't look like anything needed to be addressed for the Chiefs. That is true. That is true. There and are a lot of other holes. Yeah. And now they're losing Austin Ryder, maybe uh, because he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Mike Remmers, unrestricted free agent. Uh, who, who they, they got to address that offensive line. Yeah, they got to replace most of the offensive line, I'd say. I mean, we know about Schwartz. We know about Duvernay Tardif. They're going to bring in other guys. I didn't even know that Ryder was a free agent, but he's actually the only starter from week one who was playing in the Super Bowl. And he got bullied by Vita Vea. <laughs> um, and because he got destroyed so badly, it prevented Mahomes from ever stepping up in the pocket. So it's not really like you want to bring him back um, as more yeah. than maybe a backup. Yeah, and also like... Vita Vea, we didn't really talk about him as much, but monster. Wow, he was insane. Really representing University of Washington. That was a fantastic pick by the by the Buccaneers. Yeah. In that draft, Vita Vea and Jonathan Allen were both picked right in the same draft range. I think Allen was picked like three or four picks later by Washington. Two huge hits on defensive tackles in a league where it's very hard to find defensive tackles that can actually rush the passer. Rush yeah. the passer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> also, if if any of our listeners haven't seen his high school tape. I suggest a watch. You'll be surprised. Highly recommend. Uh, a couple other goals for the Chiefs this offseason. There's a lot of them. They probably need to get another cornerback or two because Bashad Vreeland is a free agent and he'll probably be too expensive for them because they don't have any cap space. They need to replace their run, their linebackers or just pray Willie Gay, who's our second round pick from last season, develops. Um, he barely played this season and then ended the year on injured reserve. They still need more edge rushers. They don't have anyone creating pressure other than um, Chris Jones. And unfortunately, they have no cap space because Frank Clark has the highest cap hit on the team in 2021. <laughs> and he's awful. He's so bad. And compassing uh, not. I don't know how you pronounce that name. Sorry. Good luck. He's gone. He's gone too. Okay. So, so they, they got to they gotta target that too. But at the same time, when you're the Chiefs, maybe defense should be second. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, at some point, you're just going to bet entirely on just outscoring everyone else okay uh should we move on to the to the tampa bay outlook Ooh, I, yeah. unless you have something else to talk about for the Chiefs. nope i think they've got a lot of holes and they're just going to choose which ones to plug i think really and yeah when you got Mahomes, you don't really have to worry about defense <laughs> exactly like they can plug these holes and hopefully their defense will do like a little bit but all you need is one or two stops and you're rolling when maybe you've got maybe invest in a, another medical staff for the just for him no, <laughs> just like a personal figure to run next to him at all times. <laughs> just to make sure he doesn't trip. Yep. Yep. He, he's he's currently mowing the lawn in front of him as he walks. What's crazy is that, as you said, he ran 497 yards with a turf toe or whatever injury that needs uh, surgery tomorrow. Yeah. But, but like that, that, that secondary just comes Super Bowl. Adrenaline takes, takes care of that turf toe. I guess so. But yeah, as you said, let's talk about the Bucks and what they'll do this offseason, which their outlook is honestly better than the Chiefs. They've got a pretty nice setup, honestly. They've got cap room. They've got three big free agents. They have 
Shaq Barrett, Levante David, and Chris Godwin, who are all free agents who will all command pretty big deals. And they can probably only bring back two out of the three. I have no idea who they'll, who they'll choose to let go. Um, but that is probably a decision they'll need to make. I, th- I think we might, this might be the end of the Godwin era on the, on the Bucks. Yeah, I was thinking it was Shaq Barrett coming into this game and like coming into the playoffs. I thought they would keep Godwin and let Barrett go. But he's been so disruptive and they showed and showed how important getting home with four and how effective they can be getting home with four with him, Vey and Pierre Paul, that I think that they might let Godwin go and see if Tyler Johnson or another draft pick can replace his production. By the way, Jason Pierre Paul, eight and oh in the playoffs now. Cause he went four and with the Giants. And now he's four and with the Bucks. So that's eight and in the playoffs. So you're saying is to win the Super Bowl, you sign Jason Pierre Paul. And you sign LaShawn McCoy. Yeah, and maybe pick up Steve McClendon halfway through the year. By the way, he, like big as He must be loving life right now. He went from the Jets to the Bucks <laughs> at midseason. He's getting paid $3 million to sit on the Bucks bench and watch them win a ring for him. No, 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 no. He was fantastic this year, actually. Sure, sure, sure. But like during this game, he had no impact. He had a couple. Um, he was still on the field. I don't really know how many snaps he played, but he was good this game and throughout the season. Because when Vea got hurt, he filled in most of those snaps, and he was legitimately really good, like surprisingly good. Yeah, and but I, coming in at thirty-five, that's the way you want to you want to end your career on on the high note. So oh, maybe absolutely. this is the end of Steve McClendon. <laughs> yeah. Other notes for the Bucks. Um, that I was thinking you probably want to bring back Gronk, even if you won't get the sort of receiving production that you got in the Super Bowl. <laughs> he's worth it just for his blocking ability. I mean. He is an insane blocker. Like that skill has not dropped off at all since he came back. He is still blocking defensive ends one-on-one in pass protection, like, and stonewalling them. That's ridiculous. That ability is so valuable. So they should definitely hope to bring him back. The only, the only downside to bring him back is his mental health. You know, know, what could another season in the NFL do to him? He did say he was going to come back this season. So yeah, I, and I think I want to play Brady. Another guy who who might have saved his his lifespan in the NFL is Leonard Fournette, because very true. He had a solid show, a playoff showing. He he might get paid somewhere. Who knows? We know how much NFL teams like paying running backs. Yeah. For the record, I would, I hope he gets paid. I would not advocate paying him because he was running behind a great defensive line against a bunch of bad defensive line or a great offensive line behind a, um, going into a bunch <laughs> of bad defensive lines. I don't even know how I said that, but um. Oh, well, you can cut that together somehow. Oh, well, forget it, forget it. But I do think he was he was ridiculously good. Playoff Lenny, you know, superstar. And I hope he gets a contract. I don't think it'll be with the Bucks because I think Ronald Jones can replicate most of that production. Yep. Other thoughts. Um, they need to either replace or bring back Donovan Smith, their left tackle, which is actually really important because we know exactly how important that offensive line is because every single piece needs to be perfect for Brady to succeed. He cannot deal with pressure. I'm not a huge fan of Donovan Smith, but he has been good this year. I think Tristan Wirfs helped him out a lot. And I think they'll probably try to bring him back. They've developed him his entire career. He'll be pretty pricey, though, even for like inconsistent production. So it will be a question. But also, you got to drive someone. Yep. And where else do the Bucks need to fill? I think they should be drafting a quarterback. That was actually going to be my next point. That's a good point. I don't know when Brady's going to retire. I don't, he's definitely not going to You don't believe in Gabbard? <laughs> that, that was my next point. I was going to say, uh, well, I'm not sure if Blaine Gabbard is exactly their fill in for the future. Tom Brady's forty-four. Losing Ryan Griffin this year. Is he a tight end or is he on the? No, he's a quarterback. Oh really? Okay. He's actually a much better tight end than Ryan Griffin on the <laughs> Jets. He's actually a pretty good tight end. He might be the same guy. <laughs> Entirely possible. 
Tom Brady's 44, or he's going to be 44, and you just never know when the drop-off's going to hit. Like Peyton Manning was looking good, looking good, looking good, and then, bam, fell off a cliff. I'm not saying I expect that to happen. Tom Brady's a weird freak who doesn't eat strawberries. Um, I would not want his life, honestly. It's very strange. But I do think it's worth being ready, given that all of the other pieces are there, that you don't want to be caught unaware if Brady falls off or if he gets hurt or if he just decides to retire after next season. Yeah, another possible location if Godwin goes as wide receiver because AB might be gone too because he's also an unrestricted free agent and also the court cases might come out this this offseason very likely that that happens so they could go the same route as the Chiefs bolster that bolster uh, that that wide receiver core give uh, Marshawn Lattimore another wide receiver to attack uh, <laughs> I think he'll, he'll be dealing with Evans and he will be babying Evans and even, even more reason why you need another wide receiver just for the two Saints game every year I think Tyler Johnson is actually a pretty good number three wide receiver and I think he's might be better than AB it's pretty close between those two especially with a offseason development and then they have Wes Welker <laughs> you mean Scott, yeah you mean Scotty Miller Oh, yeah. Sorry. How could, I mix them up all the time. Of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> I, I, number two would be a good guy to target. <laughs> there are good wide receivers on the market. I don't think Kenny Galladay will make his way to mm. um, Tampa Bay, but it would be very funny to see him and Mike Evans on the same team. That wouldn't be fair. Their skill sets are identical. It, it actually it would wouldn't be that make, helpful. Yeah, it would just make Tom Brady look better, though, and I don't want that. That is true. That is very true. They need a slot. They need like a slot receiver, though. Well, so, I, I think it would be helpful because you can't. You don't have two two number one cornerbacks to to match up with them. Yeah, but they're both X receivers, um, and they're both jump true. ball winners. They're not really. It would be a very fun team to watch. It would be a hilarious <laughs> team to watch. It would, yeah, it would be like just a goal line fade every single time team. But they wouldn't know which side, so they'd have to split their guys. I think that Mac Jones might be the pick in Ooh. in Tampa Bay. I don't know anything about Mac Jones or if he's actually good, but he seems like a very Tom Brady quarterback. And I feel like he could step in and do the sort sort of the same stuff that Brady's doing. Yeah. And quarterbacks out of the Alabama system tend to be pretty prepared for the NFL. So, yeah. And like, same thing, no physical tools being propped up by his teammates. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not it'll, all that good. It'll, it'll be the same person. It'll be the same person. Exactly. So, anything else you want to get to for either team, the Super Bowl, anything? No, I, I think that the Bucks are definitely looking better for the offseason, but the Chiefs just have a better outlook because they have Mahomes. We'll see both these teams in the playoffs probably next year. Whether or not they have the same success, that will be up to the rest of the league. Yeah. I, you know, it's hard to bet against the Chiefs as Super Bowl favorites, but like I was just looking into the Bucks' like future and like how their offseason will look, and it looks really good. They have like a legitimate amount of cap space. They've got only a couple big name free agents, but at positions that can be replaced realistically if they decide to let them go. They are well prepared and they are well set for next season. Meanwhile, the NFC South should be a cakewalk with Drew Brees leaving and the Saints like having to lose a bunch of guys. Jamie Swinston, Justin <laughs> Fields, and Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think it gets much tougher than that. <laughs> what, you think Justin Fields is getting to speak it, uh, Atlanta? Speak it, into, speak it into existence. That is a very, very good plan. I think he's the easy number two quarterback, but you know, it's the Jets <laughs> making that pick, so you never know. Maybe maybe Trevor Lawrence will fall to number two. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that, that would be Jaguars trade number one for Deshaun Watson? Oh. Ooh. Okay, let's, that's too many hot takes. Let, let, we're done with hot takes. <laughs> we have a lot of off-season to fill. I just want to thank all of you guys for sticking with us, listening. This is our 
32nd episode, I think. 34th that we've recorded. Two of them never made it to uh, air, but it's been a really fun season. Thanks, I've learned a lot. Sakes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Very much. <laughs> but it's been a really fun season. I've learned a lot. I've talked a lot. So thank you for listening. It's just been a really good time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. We enjoy getting feedback from you guys, and we're going to keep doing this during the off season. So if you have any suggestions, let us know, and yep. we'll see you next year. Yeah. Oh, uh, And just one other note. Um, we will probably be off next week. Um, we'll just take one quick break. But it looks like Carson Wentz might be traded to the Bears if that happens or if he's traded in general. Gone. Yeah. You know what? We need content. So that would be great. If he's traded in this next week, we will throw an emergency podcast together. We have some guests that we will bring on to do that. So it should be a really good time. We have a long off season, but we will be in your feeds every Thursday, just like before.